Welcome to Messages and More, a podcast channel of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. This channel plays our weekly sermons and other content relevant to our church community. Welcome. We are very glad that you are here today um, as we have people coming and trickling in and sitting in the pews beside you. Um, I just want to let you guys know that we do have our welcome um, sheet now is actually a bookmark. And so if you look in front of you guys, there's a bookmark now and it has a QR code and in there um, you'll be able to find all the information that you need um, for upcoming stuff, for signing up for weekly updates, for getting us connect, getting you guys connected into the church um, and different programs that we're doing. So as you see new people come in and sit next to you, point them in this direction and help them get connected. Um, make a friend, introduce yourselves um, this morning as we welcome um, everyone as they come in today. Um, we, um, you also might notice there might be a few less youth sitting next to you. Our youth is away at Camp Shamina right now. They are headed back this afternoon, so if you can continue to pray for them um, as they finish up their weekend, we have a fun video that will be shared um, during the service today from Pastor Luke. Um, and I invite you guys now to join us and to come in to this time of worship with the Lord. Um, whatever's came in this weekend, whatever's going on in life, I just pray that our hearts would just pause and be still and know that he is Lord. And so as we get into this service today, um, I just want you to calm your hearts and your minds. Um, and let's pray together. Father God, you are a good father. You love us and you are near to us always. In the highs of the highs and the lows of the lows, you are the same and you are with us in every detail. And I pray that as we come and we worship you this morning, that we would feel you, that we would know your love, and we can share that love with others. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, for those that haven't met me, maybe you're new, maybe you're uh, visiting, or maybe I just haven't had the chance to meet you yet. I'm Bruce Drugsma. I am the senior pastor here at Watertown Evangelical Free Church. And as Bethany shared in our welcome, uh, we are missing a significant chunk of our population this morning. Uh, our youth are gone at camp at Fall Fling. Um, I have heard my wife is there, as well as my older two kids. I've heard very little from them. Um, Aside from the fact that I did find out, and I'm going to take full responsibility for this, um, we, we, we lost in the first round of the football tournament. Um, and the reason I take full responsibility for that is I, I talked to Ella before uh, they went up there and pointed out that at every church I've ever been at, we've lost in the first round of the football tournament at Fall Fling, and so I think it must be me. Um, clearly, clearly we're finding the pattern here. But uh, we do have a video, so let's, let's hear from them. Good morning, church. I am not live, but I am at Shamina right now with the youth group. It is so awesome. All the students are really having a good time. Sadly, we lost in all three tournaments, but we still have a fighting spirit of just enjoying the weekend and the whole point of it is so that we are able to grow deeper with Jesus Christ. That's the whole point of this weekend as the preacher talked about this weekend, his name was Daniel. And he said, don't let things be a distraction or whether it be sports, schoolwork, friendships, families, don't let it be a distraction for what this weekend is about, which is the whole weekend is about cultivating lifelong followers of Jesus. So. I just thought I would share some videos and some photos from the weekend. Um, it's been great so far. We're going on God's strength right now, and I'm just so happy of what God is doing this weekend. Hey, 
What has been your most favorite part about camp so far? Football. What is your name and grade? Um, I'm Alana Holmstrom and I'm a freshman. And what is your favorite part about camp? <laughs> um, my favorite part about camp is definitely worship time. purpose of why we are here is because God wants us here and God wants a personal relationship with each one of you which is the same with every person sitting in the, this congregation today God wants a personal relationship so as we continue to cultivate lifelong followers of Jesus here at we youth just continue to pray for us on our safe drive back and just pray that God would open these kids hearts and that they would know the love of Christ that he has for them Thank you guys. All right, yeah, amen. Uh, so I'm kind of disappointed that we didn't get a video like that from the women who went last weekend. Um, so we can, we can work on that for next time. No, the women were there last weekend, which is great. Uh, the youth are there this weekend. Um, Merv did send me one picture. There was a giant pool put on the stage, um, and apparently they did a belly flop contest inside the chapel. Um, so I bring that up because tomorrow I drive up uh, to Shamanah for a pastor's conference, and I'm curious to see if the pool will still be there. For the, and if we get to do a belly flop contest, I'm hoping we do. Um, but I will be up there Monday, Tuesday, so uh, you can pray for them as they come back safely today, and then as I uh, leave my wife again for a couple more days and drive up there um, tomorrow, tomorrow morning. So anyway, uh, we are in a series called Capital Letters. We've been looking at these words from, uh, from Scripture that, that desire and necessitate a special focus. We started with the idea of the church, that the church is not determined by who we call the church, but it's determined by God's church. Those who are, throughout all time in history, followers of Jesus, constitute the church. And then we talked about who God is, that God is God and we are not. And anytime we elevate a small g God that could be, and Luke mentioned it in his video, that the speaker there is kind of saying the same thing, if it's sports, if it's our work, if it's our family, if anytime we elevate ourselves or something that we like up to the level God deserves. We talked about that. And then uh, we talked about truth. This idea that truth is not found in me. I don't get to be the decider of truth, right? I don't get to determine what is right and wrong. Truth is bound up in God and is our job to pursue that godly truth. And so this morning uh, we are going to look at worship. 
And we're gonna look at godly worship and we're gonna ask the question, what is true and right and good in worship? And what are those same things where we lift him up to the incorrect level where we go, this is worship or that is worship? And God goes, oh, that's not what it is. Where are we elevating incorrectly those things? And we can get sucked into this idea that worship is all about me. It's about the kind of music I like. It's about the format I want. It's about, um, you know, it, it's something that I consume, right? It's something that I take in. It's something that, that it's all about me and my preference and my desire. And, and that could lead down some really, really dangerous roads. And so before we dig in this morning, I'm going to share another video clip um, that is, and I just want to set it up a, a little bit. It's a comedian. Um, and, and he has this, he, he made this skit kind of imagining what if. What if we took our view of church and worship and we applied the same perspective to it as we do other entertainment activities? What if on Monday morning, the pastor had to get up and do a press conference? So that's, that's the question. Strong, honestly, I just got to get back and take a look at some of the film, get some things for my sermon corrected for next week. I mean, attendance was down, so I feel like that hurt my confidence a little bit coming out of the gate. But I mean, from a number standpoint, we did okay. It looks like we got uh, five applause breaks, we got three amens, and one mmm preach. So, like, I mean, from a numbers game, I feel like we're doing well. I just got to do a better job. I mean, I'll take responsibility for my sermon. It wasn't the best thing I've ever done. I had a hilarious story about my kids to start, but then honestly, the scriptural tie-in was not great. I mean, I'm just not comfortable performing in this system. We're doing an eight-week sermon series. Honestly, it should have wrapped up at about five. We're doing this like Stranger Things spinoff called Jesus is a Life Changer Things. Yeah, grammatically, it literally doesn't even make any sense. I mean, I'm a little banged up. I got a sore throat. I'm not 100% either, but I don't, I, no excuses. I knew I needed to come out here and perform on Sunday. I mean, who else is going to preach? The youth pastor? Absolutely not. I mean, last time I had that guy preach, he was quoting Chance the Rapper lyrics. I mean, we just can't have that. I mean, we're, we're doing a good job as a team getting plenty of people to come forward for prayer. We're just not getting salvations. We're not getting the conversions when we need to, bottom line. If anybody has any questions, uh, I'll take those now. Just slip your hand up all over this room. Yes, 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 yes. It seems a little ridiculous, right? It seems a little, especially that part about the youth pastor. Now he's not here. And I did show this to Luke before, before I agreed to show it here, before I decided to show it here. I got his permission. Um, and I said, because he's not going to be here. And I thought, well, that's a little unfair to take a, a shot at him. And he's not even here to defend himself. Luke did a fantastic job. And to be clear, I do not have the same perspective as that gentleman. Uh, I think it would be great if Luke were to preach here more often. I just want to throw that out there that I'm not taking a shot at him when he's not in the room. But isn't that a little ridiculous? But the reality is good comedy is funny because there's a little bit of a nugget of truth in there, right? I mean, how many of us look at worship and if we're honest with ourselves, we kind of have that perspective. We think that that's what it should be. You know, we want, and part of it is because we have a hard time measuring success in worship and in church. If we're about life change, if we're about people knowing and following Jesus, if we're about helping people take their next step to become lifelong followers of Jesus, boy, how do we measure that? You know, I mean, we can't talk about applause breaks or conversions or, 
you know, I mean, we can, but those don't really get at the heart of the issue, nor do they get at the heart of what worship really is. How do we quantify it? And especially because, you know, discipleship and, and growing in our faith is a weird dynamic. I have a good friend who has this quote, and it's, it's this, that spiritual growth doesn't always look like progress. I think if we look at our life, there are times where the things that, w- that on the surface would make it look like we're becoming more Christ-like, oftentimes when we're actually growing in our faith, it doesn't always look like it. We're facing a challenge or, or a struggle or, or we're in this spot where all of a sudden our sin flesh side leaks out. And, and in some ways that's good because it reminds us that we still have work to do. And I have to get that and I, and I have to... I have to kill that side of me regularly. Because spiritual growth doesn't always look like progress, and so we can't always quantify it. And so this morning, as we look at capital W, worship, I want us to look at how God describes worship instead of how we define worship. And then we're going to talk about what our posture should be in worship. So if we're going to talk about what is worship, then then we're going to shift and go, okay, but then how should we respond? How do we approach worship? Worship. And our first thing about defining it, and this should come as no surprise in this series, the first point is this, that true worship is God-focused. True worship is God-focused. And, and, and like that video is getting at, too often our worship can become about me. It can become about me, what I want, what I like, how I respond, what moves me, instead of about what it's supposed to be about, which is God. And, and, and again, this shouldn't be a real surprise. This has basically been my first point in every sermon so far in this series, right? Truth isn't defined by me, it's defined by God. The church isn't defined by me, it's defined by God, right? Uh, as we go through this, I, I hope you're sensing that pattern that the reality of all of these words is that they're not defined by me. What we're looking for is God's definition. How does God define worship should be my first desire if I want to dig into what worship is. Truth is anchored anchored in God. Who God is is anchored in himself. And so this should come as no surprise that God is the only appropriate focus for our worship. Exodus 20, verses 1 through 6. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Out of the land of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. And these are the first two commandments. And and I think if you look at this, we can see that worship is tied directly into God's being. It's tied directly to who he is. God being a jealous God and the only God is, is a repetition of our focus on who God is. Because our view of God will impact our view of worship. And I want, you to, I want you to hear that. Our view of God will impact our view of worship. How we view God, who is God, will impact who, how we worship. If we think God is up there like some uh, benevolent grandfather who's a little aloof and, and clueless, we're going to worship in such a way as to get his attention to get what we want. 
If we think that God is up there as a vengeful God waiting for us to screw up, it's gonna impact how we worship because our worship is gonna be appeasement to him. I wanna make God not as mad at me. If we think God is up there, you know, uh, like some sky fairy willing to hand out gifts if we make him happy, we're gonna worship a certain way. How we view God will directly impact how we view worship. If we think it is, is, as a transactional relationship, we're gonna worship transactionally. In the same way that, you know, you might, I, I, I think I've talked about this, I know I've talked about this before, that I still occasionally substitute bus drive for Delano Schools. Well, they called me in on Friday, asked me to substitute bus drive. I drove bus, um, it was awful. It was awful. It was Friday night. For Delano, it was homecoming. I don't know, maybe it was a full moon too, who knows. It was one of the worst days driving, but I'd write up three kids. I usually write up zero kids. That's a 300% increase if, or something like that, right? That's bad math, I realize, but it was awful. It was awful. Why did I do it? Because they pay me. That's why I did it. I don't do it just because I like it. I don't mind driving bus. I did it because they pay me. My relationship with the bus garage, as much as I like the people over there, is entirely transactional. That's appropriate. If I approached worship the same way and said, boy, God, I showed up on Sunday and felt like uh, my my singing was bouncing off the ceiling. I felt like my prayers weren't heard and I didn't get what I thought I wanted. And so I'm gonna go find someplace else. That's transactional. Is that how we view worship? But we also need to remember that we worship him only. And as we talked about lifting up other gods, if we've lifted up other things to be of equal importance with God, we're gonna worship those things too. And all of a sudden we find ourselves worshiping at the altar of success or at the altar of school or at the altar of work or at the altar of sports or whatever. And when Jesus was tempted by Satan before the start of his ministry, even Satan tried to tempt Jesus with the idea that we can worship other things alongside God. We think we can worship the God of the universe primarily and these other things secondarily, but that's not what we see in scripture. So here's, what, here's, what, here's, here's the scene, Luke 4, verses five and eight. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world and said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will, be, it will all be yours. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And Jesus here is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13, where he says, fear the Lord your God and serve him only. And it's interesting that he says worship and fear in, this, in, in place of each other. And, and we could get in, you know, why, why does Jesus say worship and, and why? Because our view of God impacts our view of worship. If we think that God is just another, another being that we can worship primarily and others secondarily, we're mistaken about who God is. We are called to respond to God in fear and reverence. We are called to worship the Lord and the Lord only because he is God. And that should strike us. And we should worship in fear. And not fear as in terror, but awe and reverence. True worship is God-focused and needs to be our definition. And that leads, that idea of fear the Lord your God and serve him only, leads to our first posture. 
in worship. If we acknowledge that worship is tied directly to God and God alone and we cannot worship anything else secondarily, our first posture is one of reverence. If we understand who we are worshiping, who we are approaching when we worship, then we will adopt the correct posture of worship. And the correct posture is reverence. And we see this time and time again as we look at Scripture. When people have an encounter with God where they are fully exposed to his glory and his power and his majesty, they all respond the same way. They collapse. They fall down. Genesis 3, Abram encounters God for the first time and he falls face down. Joshua 5, Joshua collapses in God's presence. Daniel 8 and 10, both times that Daniel encounters God, he falls face down. We are called to respond to who God is in reverence and awe. When we encounter the true and living God of the universe, our natural response should be reverence and awe. Psalm 29.2, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. And we, we, we went through Hebrews a while ago, and, and Hebrews, and I brought this verse up already, Hebrews talks about the idea that we can now approach God with confidence and we have to hold those two thoughts in tension that yes, we can approach God with confidence because we have unlimited access to God, but that doesn't mean we have to approach um, complacently. We still have to re- approach God with reverence and awe, right? We st- the, these two thoughts have to be in tension. We have to maintain a reverential posture, posture because after the author of Hebrews says that we can approach in confidence, They also give us this in Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Let's not forget when we approach God and worship who we're approaching. We are approaching the God of the universe, the God who created everything in our world from nothing. We should have some reverence and some awe when we come into, this, into worship. And we hold these ideas in tension. And, and, and back, to, um, back to our view of God and our view of God and, and specifically Jesus. Jesus is God. He is part of the Trinity. And yet Jesus came to earth and he lived fully God and fully man. And that's a complicated thing. To say that God was fully God in Jesus Christ and fully man in Jesus Christ. But that's that's what we're taught in Scripture and that's a hard thing to understand. But even in that, we see people respond to the person of Jesus at times in worship. And we see Jesus affirm that worship. It is appropriate for them to worship him. And so even here, they have a human flesh and blood Jesus Christ in their presence And he affirms that worship of them. And it's still in reverence. That's our model of this unlimited access and yet reverence and awe. They go hand in hand. In Matthew 14, 33, he calms the storm and the disciples worship. In Matthew 28, 9, the women worship Jesus after the resurrection. And then the one on the screen, Matthew 17. This This is at the transfiguration where they see Jesus in as much of his glory as they could on earth. While he was still speaking, a bright, colored, a bright cloud covered them, 
And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. So here we have it. They, again, they, they, they encounter God, and their response is to fall face down. But Jesus tells them, not don't fall face down. Oh, no, don't make a big deal out of this. He tells them what? Don't be afraid. We are called to worship in reverence of, and awe, but it's not fear. Respect, not terror. Awe, not cowering. And as our, as of, as our view of God is not just about belief, it involves action. So we have to worship in action. Our reverence and awe has to, has to flow out into how we live. Romans 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul ties together this idea that our belief and our action need to be unified. So as we approach God in reverence and awe, it has to be in unity of who we are. Not just in thought. I can't just think God is is holy. I have to act as if God is holy. I have to let my belief impact my being. And we're going to keep building on that point as we go. And so we're going we're to take this idea of reverence and awe, but now we're going to add to it this posture of gladness, of joy. Reverence, godly fear, and awe does not imply a dour response, right? I mean, maybe you grew up uh, in a church. I know my parents definitely did. Uh, I grew up in, a, in, a little, in an evangelical free church that had a little bit more of a um, casual uh, culture, we'll say, but my parents grew up in a church that was very much the, the assumption that if you're going to be reverential, that means you cannot laugh. You cannot smile. You cannot have fun. Uh, I like the fact that we can laugh about where we're wrong, uh, that we can watch videos making fun of some of the ways that we make mistakes, right? Just because we're reverential doesn't mean we can't do it with gladness. I, I have a friend who has a kid who... Um, just his personality, the way he is. Stick him in a roller coaster at Valley Fair, send him down the roller coaster, which he loves, and he will get off the roller coaster, and his face will look the exact same as if you gave him brand new underwear. <laughs> and you'll go up to him and be like, did you have fun? Oh, yeah. Mm. Great fun. You, you could then take him and tell him he has to clean all of the bathrooms at church, and he'd go, hmm, that's terrible. Same, same response. His face does not change. And, and in an effort to get him to be a little more emotive, uh, his parents started looking at him and being like, are you enjoying this? Yes. <laughs> They'd look at him and say, tell your face. <laughs> tell your face. Because grandma just gave you this really nice Christmas present and she doesn't think you like it. Oh, I love it. Tell your face. I think I could say the same to uh, a lot of Christians. Do you love the Lord? Has he been good to you? Tell your face. How are we worshiping? Are we worshiping like, "Mm, God, you are so good to me. Thank you for all of your blessings. Tell your face. We should be models of joy and gladness. We should 
we should celebrate who God is. Let me ask you this. Think about your attitude when you worship. And I'm not just talking, and we're going to get into this in a little bit. I'm not just talking about singing. I'm not just talking about singing. I'm talking about when you worship in whatever shape and form you do, when you worship God, think about your attitude. Whether in song or actions, whether at church, school, or home, would your worship be described the same as the Psalms? Psalm 100, verses 1 and 2, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Psalm 95, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Psalm 81.1, sing for joy to God our strength. Shout aloud to the God of Jacob. We are called to be joyful. We have an incredible God who has created the universe and everything in it from nothing. And we have unlimited access to him and in reverence we can come, but we should be joyful. We should be celebrating the fact that as believers, we know that we are unified with Christ. We, we as believers know that no matter what happens in this world, Jesus wins. Tell our faces. <laughs> Where is the joy? Where is the celebration? Where is, is the, the worship of gladness? Even when things don't always make sense, we are called to be joyful. Reverence, yes, but also gladness. And like I said, do not limit your gladness and worship only to singing on Sunday mornings. Colossians 3, 16 and 17, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymn, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So what's our last, what's our last reminder of our posture? As we approach God in worship, we are to approach in reverence, we are to approach in, in gladness, but we're also supposed to do it in word and deed. We worship in word and deed, not just on Sunday mornings, not just in singing, which is great news for people like me that have very little musical talent. If worship was limited to singing, I would be missing out on a significant chunk of worship because I'm not very musical. Thank God, literally thank you, Jesus, that worship isn't limited to singing, that I can worship God in word and deed. Worship should influence everything we do. Whatever we do, we should be able to do it as worship. When I was in high school, I struggled with the idea when people would come up to me and say, hey, you did a really good job at that, and pick whatever it was. There were very few things I can pick. I wasn't good at a lot of things, but I had a few. And when I did really well, like at swimming, people would come up to me like, hey, great job. And I was taught to be humble. So what do I do with that piece of information? Hey, nice job. And so my, my, my general response was to downplay it. Oh, it's nothing. And somebody came up to me and said, hey, somebody is, is affirming you, affirming the talents God has given you, swim in worship. Take those compliments when somebody, somebody gives them to you and at the end of the day, you take them, you thank them for them and you turn around and you give it to God like a bouquet of worship. You can worship while you swim. You can worship while you work. You can worship uh, while you clean the house. You can worship while you raise your kids. 
we should be able to worship in word and deed. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had a great quote. If it falls your lot to be a street sweeper, sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Sweep streets like Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets like Leontin Price sings before the Metropolitan Opera. Sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. What is before you right now that you could do as an act of worship, but you're not? Where is that thing where, you know, being home all day with the kids has become burdensome and it should be worship, even though it's challenging? Where is your job something you have to persevere through where you could turn it into a spot of worship? Where do we need to lift up worship in word and deed? Maybe for some of you in this room, it's coming or it's here. How do you worship well in retirement? What do you do with your time and your energy and your resources that can be worship? It should be beyond Sunday morning if this is the only worship you are getting here. Hear Colossians. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. And I'm going to throw several more verses at you in rapid succession. So bear with me. James 3, 9 and 10, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praising and cursing my brothers and sisters. This should not be. Where is a spot where the words coming out of our mouth have impacted our worship because we are condemning somebody who is made in the image of God? Where have we impacted our worship because the same mouth that we try and worship God with, we are cursing our neighbor? John 4, 23. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. And we talked about truth last week. We worship when we hold God's truth and hold to God's truth and willingly set aside our truth, our small t truth. We worship when we acknowledge that worship need not look like we want to still be worship. Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe with the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Look at all that their worship impacted. It doesn't say in there they did all these things and then they got together on Sunday morning to worship. It says they did all of these things worshiping God. Worship of God should impact everything we do. It impacted every part of their lives. They gave willingly. They served willingly. They shared willingly with each other. They shared their lives with each other. All of these things are part of their worship. 
All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. We as a community should be in worship when we're at the harvest party handing out candy. We as a community should be in worship when we're at Wednesday family night eating a meal together. We as a community should be in worship when we're in a Bible study. We as a community should be in worship on Sunday morning when we're singing, when we're hearing from God's word. When we're hearing announcements, when we're doing communion, these are all acts of worship. And recently, another pastor shared this story. Um, He was preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, and he got to the part in uh, Matthew 5 and was preaching on turning the other cheek and forgiving those who are our enemies. And after the service, a person came up to them and said, Pastor, they ha- that may have worked in Jesus' time, but today it's different. We don't need to do that anymore. And I share that to go, it's easy to look back and read things like Acts where we see all that they did and go, well, that was a different time. Things were different back then. But if we truly believe scripture and we believe that scripture is authoritative, we need to take the parts that are hard as well. And we need to realize that when we forgive our enemies, when we turn the other cheek, when we share with those in need, those are opportunities for us to worship. And going back to the Acts passage, look at how it ends. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Imagine a church with me. Imagine a church where the believers worship in word and deed and it's not just tied to Sunday morning. Imagine a church where where the church believes what scripture says that at the end of time, God wins and now we don't need to be upset with each other if we disagree on this or on that political issue, social issue, economic issue, whatever. That even though we might think the world is heading down an awful path. We can come in and in reverence and in joy, worship in word, in deed, and let it impact our entire life. And I think if we can do that as a church, we'll see the same result. We'll see people who are drawn to that because imagine a church where, where hope is lifted up in a community and in a world where it seems like all we hear is negative. That's compelling because we have the hope of Jesus. That's who we worship. That should compel us and it should compel others. Last thing I wanna share. True worship impacts our entire being. Yes, but it does not mean we have it all figured out. I wanna share one last verse that has uh, impacted me recently. Matthew chapter 28, 17. Uh, right after Jesus' death and resurrection, right, bef- right as he went up into heaven. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Just because we are worshiping in word and deed, just because we are worshiping in reverence and just because we are worshiping with gladness does not mean we have life figured out. 
We might not understand why something is happening the way it is. We might not understand why God is doing what he is. We might not understand. We might doubt, but we can still worship. We don't have to have it all figured out. Look at them. They're standing there. Jesus is going up into heaven. He has died and resurrected. If there was any time to not be filled with doubt, that was it. And they stood there and worshiped, and yet some still doubted. God, I don't understand what you're doing. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. That's okay. They still worshiped. And I think that that's an appropriate spot for us to transition to communion. Because I don't know where you're standing with Jesus. If you're standing in a spot where Jesus is your Lord and Savior, but you're struggling with something, that's okay. You are welcome to worship. Maybe you're in a spot where you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ because you have these questions. Well, my challenge to you is maybe you won't get all the questions figured out before you need to put your faith in God. That's okay. Some doubted. So we're going to move into a time of worship in communion now, and I'm going to ask the servers to start making their way forward as we serve communion this morning. And we talked this morning about reverence, gladness, and word and deed, and I can think of no better response than communion. This is our opportunity to step in to worship, to worship in action. And maybe you doubt. I want you to know that our communion table is open to all who profess faith in Jesus Christ. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, please partake in communion with us. But if not, maybe you aren't in that spot where you're ready to put your faith in Jesus Christ, or you're in a spot where you just don't feel like you can take communion this morning. That's okay. But let the elements pass. We won't judge you for that. But we are going to step in now, and we are going to take worship to the next level by worshiping in communion. From 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us take it together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take it together. And as we end communion this morning, let's end it by reciting together in, in worship with believers around the world by reciting the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. A couple of things as we end, a couple of opportunities to worship in word and deed. One is, um, as we do on Communion Sundays, we have the benevolence plate in the back. It is on top of our normal giving box. Um, giving to benevolence, giving to the church is a way we worship in word and deed. So I would encourage you 
to please uh, do that this week. Uh, we do have coming up October 15th. If you are new and you have not been here more than like six to nine months and still looking to get connected, uh, we are doing a new attenders lunch. So an opportunity for you to get to know some of us on staff and uh, in leadership, uh, paid and unpaid. Uh, so if you've just started attending and just want to get to know us, I would invite you to do that. Please email us if you think of it. Uh, if you don't, we still want you, we'd rather have you come, um, but it helps us plan food. So um, that's for that. And then uh, lastly, our word and deed opportunity this week is candy. Uh, we need candy, giving candy to church can be worshipful because we're doing the harvest party and it is a huge outreach. It's an opportunity for people in our community to feel the love of God through candy. Um, it, it's real, I promise you that. <laughs> uh, I'm not just making that up. It is an opportunity, so please uh, look for the orange buckets there in the back by the hello station uh, as a spot to do that as an act of worship. And because I've said it about a thousand times, I'm just going to end with our uh, benediction this morning from Colossians chapter 3, the verse we read earlier. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Go in peace and have a great week. Thank you for listening to Messages and More, a ministry of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. To find out more, visit us online at wevfree.org.